Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Before I get into today's message, I just want to share something that incidentally came out when Pastor, uh, Pastor did, who was preaching last week. And just on that note, um, I have license now to go till about three o'clock because Elder Deji took us into the depths of Rod Anderson timing last week. So um, I'm now third in the race. So I feel very comfortable because um, no one complained. As far as I know, there was no emails to the office. Um, no one walked out. So um, I don't feel bad about time. We shouldn't anyway when we serve an eternal God, but that's a whole other sermon. But um, there are there are two threads that's been emerging. This is what I was writing last week. Over the course of our entry into 2022, and I think it's important that we take a moment just to ascertain what's been shared. On the one hand, we have this revelation about the re- the reality of following Christ. Okay, this the tension between light and dark, the testing we spoke about last week, um, some of the early teachings that we've had about the end times and context of actual Christian life. It's very easy for us to sometimes just ignore or sometimes move past the reality of it. And we come in and, you know, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm blessed and, you know, highly favoured on top and still rising. But we don't actually give the context we don't reveal that we're hurting. We don't reveal that there's pain. Um, but that's not what we do here. Like it's been said, we are a family. And in family, we can be vulnerable. There is testing. There's trials. There's, there's tears. Persecution, maybe. So we have this, that's one thread. Now, on the other hand, we've had Wednesday nights and some of the Sundays where there's been this talk about intimacy. You know, I know that's what I've been sharing on um, and it's worth us reminding that both things are true. It's not one or the other. This is the Christian life. We're called to a deep level of intimacy and we are called to go through testing. We are being equipped to go through the testing. They are not independent of each other. And the only way we will navigate the coming decades of increasing darkness is to commit ourselves to increasing the intimacy we have with God. So this is what the Lord said this, as, a, as an instruction. It is not for us to lean to one or the other. You know, sometimes you get so caught up in the intimacy talk that we ignore what's happening in people's lives. Or we get so caught up in, you know, have you seen that this is Revelation 12 coming to pass and this is Revelation 15 and next up we're going to have Revelation 16 and we get so caught up in that that we ignore the secret place. So the Lord said, it is not for us to lean to one pillar and neglect the other. Both are being revealed in this house so that we might build a house that will stand the test of time. That's what he said. So that's my little preamble. Um, If you want the scriptural reference for that, Psalms 91 is a very good example. Um, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Incredible scripture. And I will say of the Lord, he is my... Why do I need a refuge? I need a refuge because there must be some testing. There must be some trials. So I'm called to this 
deep level intimacy in Psalms 91, verse 1. But there is also testing, which is why I need him as my refuge. If you need a backup scripture for that, Genesis 128. You know, where it talks about, you know, go forth, multiply. And it also says subdue. If there's nothing to subdue, if there's no fight, if there's no battle, why did he tell us to subdue? This is when they were in Eden. You know, Bill Johnson puts it this way, that that word subdue was a warning from God. Hey, snake. <laughs> snake on its way. So all throughout scripture we see this marriage between a call to intimacy and the reality of the Christian life. Indeed, the scripture I just quoted in Isaiah 60, darkness shall cover the earth, indeed great darkness, and the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon you. So the two go hand in hand in a sense. For those that are taking notes, the, the title of today's um, few words is um, The Authority of Purity. The Authority of Purity. Um, our base scripture will be Psalms 24, but we're going to bounce around a little bit, give a bit more context, dip into 24, come out, dip back in. Okay, so I hope you've got your... Um, I hope you can keep up. Um, obviously, if it's recorded, we can always go back. Um, the first scripture I want to go to is not from Psalm 24. I just want to go to Acts, the book of Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. I promised pastors I was going to use my Bible today, so I bought a big one. Yeah, it's in the New Testament for those who needed it. That wasn't for me. <laughs> oh gosh! So this is this is Paul talking to um, King Agrippa. I think that's how you pronounce the name, and he's uh, recounting his his testimony of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in verse seventeen, it says, you know. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. He said, choosing you out, selecting you for myself, and delivering you from amongst the Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Verse 18 then says, this is what Paul was called to do. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they, must, they may thus receive forgiveness and release from their sins. Full stop. No. There isn't a full stop. You guys are awake. Well done. He goes on to say, release from their sins and a place and portion among those who are consecrated and purified by faith in me. Paul's mission statement here reveals that the cross and our salvation was more than just the forgiveness of our sins and entry into heaven. There is a life yet to be lived and an inheritance yet to be displayed. Um, I believe he says at another point in the script, he says, I commend you to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you a good inheritance. Okay. So we have this reality, which sometimes is kind of counter to what we may have heard in, in church. We grew up maybe hearing about salvation, just about getting into heaven. So punch my ticket. I'm in you know, fire insurance, as they call it. Okay. And 
it's very easy to just stop at the cross. I remember years ago, 2009, 2010, the Lord had me studying the cross for a whole summer. And it, it broke me, as you can imagine. Um, my friends actually got really annoyed at me. I was at uni. And um, it got to a point, and this is honest truth, got to a point where every conversation ended with me saying, yeah, but they killed his son. It got it so consumed me. And I just always just, it just was in my head. And then I remember I went to my friend's church, and it was on um, Good Friday. So I'm standing there, I'm like, wow, I've studied the cross for six months now. No, Good Friday. And the Lord said to me, he said, right, now you need to move past that. Now I need to show you the resurrection power. I thought, what? He said, there is something in the empty tomb that you need to study. So there's more to it than just salvation, forgiveness of sins, fire insurance, entry into heaven. So let's jump into Psalms 24 quickly. It's a very common scripture. Again, it's in the Old Testament, Pastor Rob, just in case needed some direction. Again, it's, it's one you've probably read a few times. Um, the Lord actually uh, challenged me with this scripture. This was the first scripture I really definitively memorized. Um, it was summer of 2008. I was in Birmingham for a month, staying at a house pretty much by myself. Um, the guy that I was staying with was a nurse. And he worked 12-hour days. And the Lord said to me, coming out of my first year of uni, which is a whole other sermon, that first year of uni, he said, look, if you can memorize songs, you can memorize my scripture. So he literally put me, challenged me into a time of definitively memorizing scripture, not just like a Bible study memory verse, but actually that it might come alive. So I began to learn how to meditate on the word. That's where it all started. And this was the first one I went to. And we're going to start from verse 3. So Psalms 24, 3, it says, Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? Verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false, uh, nor has he sworn oaths deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Verse 6 is great. Verse 6 is great. This is the generation description of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need, who seek your face, even as did Jacob. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands, a pure heart, is not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Okay. So when I first read this scripture, and started to meditate on it, July 2008, it intimidated me. Because we all want to ascend the hill of the Lord. We want to be before him. But it has a terms and conditions here, you know, terms and conditions, you know, things we never read when we press. We lie. All of us, we lie. Um, it says, the terms and conditions of standing in, on the holy place, and in the holy place is, that you have to have clean hands, pure heart, not lift up your soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Now, if anyone knows me, I'm not that person, I guess. And so I'm reading it, age 19, and I'm going, that's a high standard. And I would always compare myself to it, and I would always find myself lacking. And therefore, I would disqualify myself from drawing in close. 
I'd always say to myself, well, I've got to get this right before I can even think to ascend the hill of the Lord. I have to make sure my hands are clean, my heart is pure. And so, so much time was invested in this, got to get right, got to get right, got to get right. Like I said, it intimidated me out of intimacy. And it's a bit like uh, Peter, I think it was, when the first time, uh, I think it's in the book of Luke, Luke 5, maybe John 5, um, where Peter invites Jesus into his boat. Jesus then is preaching. Then we have the whole fish. You know, there's more fish. And when Peter sees the power that Jesus has, the Bible says that he stepped away, but he said, get away from me because I'm a sinner. Instead of it drawing him into closeness, his first response was, whoa, get back. That's what this scripture did for me. And however, I yearned for him. So I'm in this tension because I want to be close. But every time I want to be close, this scripture comes back to me. And this scripture, at the first reading, said to me, you can't. Stay back. Get this right. And then you can even think about coming close. Let's go to Romans 10. We're going to now take a little turn. We're going to go away and then we're going to come back to 24. So Romans 10, uh, verse 1 to 4. This is Paul obviously writing. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my prayer for God, prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a certain enthusiasm for God, but not in accordance with correct and vital knowledge about him and his purposes. For not knowing about God's righteousness, which is based on faith. One second, I'm trying to get my page over. And seeking to establish their own righteousness based on works, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. It leads to him and its purpose is fulfilled in him. For granting righteousness to everyone who believed in him as saviour. Saints, there's a reality that there is a futility of trying to become that which you already are. Okay. It's, it speaks here that there's, it's possible to have an enthusiasm for the things of God and yet an ignorance about the things of God. That summed up, to be honest, my early years in church. I was enthusiastic about getting close to God, yet I was ignorant of certain things and so that's what caused the distance. It speaks here of a righteousness that comes from God as opposed to a self made righteousness. Now, I'm not going to go into an um, exposition on, on the Old Testament and the story of the Israel, Israeli people. But like I said, there's, there's, it's possible to be enthusiastic, to want to heal the sick, to want to, to you know, lead prayer, to, to want to develop your worship, and yet there be an area of ignorance which dis, like, it, it places a distance between you and actually the plan and purposes of God. And this is what was Paul's frustration. He was like, I see them wanting. I see them yearning. I see that 19-year-old kid who wants to get close to God. I see him in his university, walking up and down, praying. And just, I used to literally just do this little loop. I was praying. 
And I remember angels in the room. But yet I would still go, <sighs> despite my enthusiasm. I was leading worship all across the north of England. Got to Sheffield, Leeds, Bradford, Birmingham, Manchester. And yet I would come home and I'd be like, I didn't get there. I'd be racked with this doubt that even if I had tasted of him, I can never go further. And again, it was this Psalms 24 that was holding, it was, it was creating a ceiling above me. And then the Lord said this. I remember reading the scripture again, Psalms 24, I said, Lord, but I don't get it because everyone's telling me that you want us close. Seeing the scripture, you want us close. Or veil in the temple, torn in two, inner sanctum, outer, all this stuff. But this scripture makes me want to stay back because the clean hands, pure heart, man. And then he said to me, my son did it all. I said, what? I said, who? He said, my son did it all. I said, so what do you mean? He said, he said you are this person. No, but, no, but Lord, I, I'm, come on. Let's talk about when I did this. Let's talk about that. Remember that thought? All that stuff. You are the one with clean hands, a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. But I can't, no, no, no. You are. See, the enemy had used that scripture to convince me of an imaginary distance between me and my heavenly father. Because the enemy fears the power of proximity. If you're making notes, that's a good one to take down. <laughs> yeah? The enemy will even use scripture to influence or inspire you to create distance between you and the Father. Why? Because he fears the power of proximity. So I very quickly realized that what distinguishes a believer from among their peers is not how many scriptures they memorize. It's not how many sick they heal. Rather, it is the level of understanding they have of their identity in Christ. Where there is correct alignment with regard to identity, there is capacity for the flow of his presence and his anointing in a continuous way. Where there is correct alignment, <laughs> I got my um, cheerleader. Where there is correct alignment with regard to identity, there is the capacity for the flow of its presence and its anointing in a continuous way. So, what is this righteousness that God prescribes? So, going back to, we're still in Romans 10, right? It's still there, yeah? You haven't shut your Bible. Okay, that's good. Thanks, babes. So, I think it's verse 3 where it talks about they did not submit to God's righteousness. I believe one of the scriptures, one of the um, translators says the righteousness that God prescribes. Okay. Now, the common understanding that I grew up with, righteousness, right standing with God. 
But it talks about God having the righteousness that he prescribes. It talks about God's righteousness. Now, God doesn't have right standing with himself. He is God. Now, I'm not saying that that definition isn't good enough, but I just wanted to improve on upon it a little bit. So I studied, I went into the Greek. Um, the word is, if I can pronounce it, dikaiosune. Right, that's the word for righteousness. I'll spell it for you for those who are taking notes. D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. And actually, when you look at it in the Strong's Concordance, if you don't have that, get it on your phone. It's an amazing tool just to have when you're reading scripture. Just take one word in every scripture and just look in the Greek or the Hebrew to get a bit more depth. It talks about equity. talks about equality and equity. It talks about to be raised up to a level with. So let's, let's go to 1 John 1. Verse 7, it says, but if we are really, if we really are living and walking in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have true unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, removes us from all sin and guilt, keeps us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. If ever there was a scripture to... um to meditate on and declare over yourself every morning. This was one of them. I have been cleansed from all sin in all its forms and manifestations. Even now as I'm saying that, some of you are like, I'm not quite sure. I have been, no, I'm serious, I feel it. I have, not been I have been cleansed from all sin in all its forms and all its manifestations. That's the righteousness of God. Remember the scripture, it says, um, there is no shadow of turning within him, okay? There is no darkness within him. My sister wrote a song about it, there is no darkness at all. In Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our own image. So we are made in the image of the one who has no darkness in him. What does that mean about me? There is no darkness in me. It sounds almost arrogant, and I love it. It's a mirror. When I look at my father, post-salvation, I can say there is no darkness within me. I've been cleansed from all sin in all its forms and manifestations. There is absolutely no darkness within me. Why? Because I made an image of my father. That's the righteousness that God prescribes. That's what it means to have equity when it comes to the things of God, to be placed on a level in relation to. That's what Christ has purchased for us. This is why God had the boldness to tell me, son, you already satisfied the criteria. Your hands have been cleaned. Your heart has been purified. Your soul is no longer lifted up to vanity. And you don't swear deceitfully. Because there is no sin 
in any of its forms or manifestations, I've cleansed it all. Okay? There's no shadow of turning. There's, there's no darkness within him. There's no darkness within him. Let's say that. There is no darkness within me. There is no darkness within me. So what did that produce in my life? Freedom and purity. Because now, when I go back to Psalms 24, and it talks about he that has clean hands, who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Instead of me reading the next bit, I say, me. So let me ask you, who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? I'll see you there. Let me give you a bit more context. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And I've spoken about this before. The word there for with is the word pros, P-R-O-S. Um, again, speaking of proximity, the old church fathers would speak about perichoresis. Spoken about that a few times, which was this circle, perichoresis dance, choreographers, how we get that word. The circle dance of union and love that the Trinity exists in for all time. They've had this union. They all love on the other. Neither one is given one present on the other. They both, they all three, in absolute humility, love and champion the other. Okay? It's out of that union was the statement, let us make man in our own image. So when we were created in Genesis 1.26, when God thought of the idea of Nathan Thomas, he said, I'm going to make him and place him in this circle dance. Okay? Before there was ever a separation, there was a union. We always start the gospel story at the fall of Adam. But actually, it starts before that in union. You can't be separate. You can't fall unless you're somewhere first. Before there was separation, there was union. Before there was discord, there was harmony. He created a perfect world. And out of that union, he said, Abby, she must be created in this environment. Dominic, Jenny, David. Every single one of us was created out of the perfection of this circle dance. Okay? So when Christ died, we can go to Romans 5 if we have to. When Christ died, we were restored back to that circle dance. That place of perfection. The complete exchange of love and the fourth man in the fire. We then get entered into this exchange. Let's actually go to Romans 5. We will get back to Psalms 24 at some point. Verse... It's tempting to read the whole thing, but... Verse 1 and 2, we'll just stick with that. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold on to and to enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Let us grasp the fact. Again, it is possible to have all the enthusiasm in the Christian world and yet ignorant of the fact that there's actually a peace that you have. 
before you do anything else, grasp the fact that you have peace with God. Okay? If you read it in context of the book of Romans, one, two, three, he, he's, he sets out the, the complete total depravity of mankind. He says, like, anyway, pick anyone, Jew, Gentile, they've all fallen. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's in chapter three. Then four, he begins to talk about faith. And then, so, yeah. We started. Started in depravity. And faith brings us to the point of reconciliation. Come on. That should excite you and bring you to tears. I was lost. No hope. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Remember in times past, you were completely without hope. Yeah, nothing. No chance. This thing called life, it was going to beat you up every single day. <laughs> and, and, and this is one of the things I, I say, especially now coming out of the pandemic, it's so easy to evangelize. Because I say, I said to my friends at work, like even those of us with all the money in the world are committing suicide. They still haven't figured out the answer. Why is it that I, on my wage, can stand here and say to you boldly, I do not fear death. And I have hope. When we came out of, I don't know, third lockdown, 10th lockdown, whichever one it was, Obviously, I work in a school, so we're in and out. You know, lockdown, we were at home. Blah, blah, blah. I remember going back in, and everyone was weary. And I was constantly asked the question, why don't you react the same way as we do? Why are you so positive? Hope. Why? I've grasped the fact that I have peace and reconciliation. And then it says, through him, verse 2, we also have our access, entrance, introduction, by faith into this grace, the state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. I think one translation says, let us rejoice in the hope that we may actually experience and enjoy God. So what have I to fear? Seeing that I have reconciliation, seeing that the distance between me and the Father has been absolutely eradicated. Seeing that I qualify now for Psalms 24, we can go back there. That I can ascend the hill of the Lord. That I can stand there in front of him boldly and say, Abba. I've said this before on one of our Wednesday nights. We have to understand the significance of that phrase, that word Abba. I believe it's only mentioned 12 times in the Old Testament and hundreds of times in the New. To the disciples, when the first time they heard Jesus pray before, you know, Abba Father, you know, our Father who are in heaven, but just even we just use that as our reference point, if they had never heard him pray before, you can imagine, I can't remember who it was, was it Thomas or someone said, you know, teach us how to pray. I think it was Thomas. We don't talk about that part of the story. But anyway, Thomas says, teach us how to pray. 
Jesus says, I always imagine all 12 of them, or maybe 70, however many are in the room, closing their eyes as Jesus starts to teach them how to pray. He says, Abba, and all their eyes open. Because he, God hadn't been referred to like that. Hold on, hold on. Before we get to the who are in heaven, what? What did you just say? Father. One of the most revolutionary words in, in Christian, in the history of mankind is Abba. Completely changed the narrative. Before it was Yahweh or Jehovah, whatever word they would use before. And now he says Abba. And by doing that, he brings them into a new revelation of intimacy. It is possible to call him I can imagine all their eyes would have gone open with shock. Peter's looking at James. He's looking at John. He's looking at Judas like, what? <laughs> Are you for real? And it's modern parlance, but... <laughs> wow. We can call him father. I've referenced the book all the time, I Dare to Call Him Father by Bill Chris Shake. Read it, please. It will encourage you. So we have this piece of reconciliation. Going back to Psalms 24. So I said to the Lord, I said, okay, explain it to me. What do you mean that Jesus has, has qualified me for this? And he broke it down quite simply in terms of the totality of salvation. And that's a whole other you know, sermon series that we could go into. What does it say? He that has clean hands, pure heart, not lifted up your soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He said to me, son, he that has clean hands, that's the things that you do. Has a pure heart, that's what you believe. Not lifted up your soul to vanity, that's what you think, nor sworn deceitfully, that's what you speak. And say it again, clean hands, that which you do. A pure heart, that which you believe. Who's not lifted up his soul to vanity, that's what you think, nor sworn deceitfully. That's what you speak. And he went on a journey through the scripture and showed me how each and every single one of those areas had been purified by the cross. We're going to do a quick version of that. Clean hands. Let's look at Matthew 10, 8. Remember, clean hands is that which we do. Matthew 10 8 is, is very brutally honest about the job description of the Christian. So, what is it that we do here as Christians? What is it that we do here in the family? What is the family business? We cure the sick, we raise the dead, we cleanse the lepers, we drive out demons. Freely without pay, we receive, freely without charge, give. The options have changed for us post salvation. This is why I was talking about this inheritance that, that Paul intimated. There was more than just being saved and getting into heaven. Now, that which I do, whether it be as a teacher, a nurse, an accountant, what is it that I actually do? I cure the sick, I raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, I drive out demons. That's why my hands are clean. Because of the cross, because of the work that Christ has done, because of the purification, the sanctification, I now can satisfy this scripture. You guys don't sound convinced. Because of the sanctification, because of what Christ did, I thought I've given you a bit of a case already. 
do we need more scriptures on righteousness? I don't, I don't know. I now satisfy this scripture. So, if there be any sickness in the room still, I know we prayed already, go. But this is what we do. So when it happens all the time at work, you know, someone's got a bit of a cold. Oh, don't come close. I've got a bit of a cold. You know what I say to them? I say, it's okay, I don't fear sickness. I said it 10, 15 times. And once one person said to me, what do you mean? Bam, that's my way in. And I began to speak to that person about healing. I told them what I've seen in Norway, told them what I've seen here, all different places where the Lord has shown up miraculously. Just gave them a few testimonies. Now every time they're ill, hey, yo, D, could you... <laughs> This is what they say. Can you do your thing? <laughs> just, just, just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, someone at work um, had an accident um, overseas, and they feared that their back was broken. And um, didn't tell them we were going to pray, but Denise and I, the next morning, we prayed. And I went into work and said, "Ah, oh, how's your back?" Oh, um. Well, you know, I didn't tell you. It's, it's actually, I didn't, I didn't know they feared it was broken until I asked them. They're like, oh, actually, last night I went to the physio. They think it might be broken. I said, okay, well, you know, Denise and I were praying for you this morning. It's funny that because today it was feeling a bit better. <laughs> and this is what they said. Maybe your thing is working. That's fine. If you want to call it my thing for now, we'll get to the, 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 the correct terminology later. But for now, I want you to have faith in my thing. Cool. It has to flee. It has to. If I'm sitting there on the tube and someone is ill, I remember the Lord, when, I, when he first began speaking to me about healing the sick, I'd sit on the tube and he'd be like, pray for the sick. I'm like, who? Who is it? And he said, I'm not going to tell you, just pray. He said, I want you to believe the measure of presence you carry is enough to cause this whole carriage to be purified of sickness. So I just began to pray. So when people ask me, oh, well, how many sick have you seen here? I actually don't know. Because I actually think I've prayed for more people in private, in my training period, as it were. And there's been more miracles that I never know about. Maybe someone had a cancerous cell they didn't even know about. But because I was sitting on that train and my hands have been cleansed and I cure the sick, this is what I do. Because I was on that train, cancer is gone. Clean hands, that's what we do. Where before we had no choice but to accept the fatal blows that life throws at us, now we can affect the outcome of each fight. It's actually an unfair fight. Do you understand? I think classical theology, for whatever reason, you think about Dante's Inferno, all these writings from the Middle Ages has put us in a position where we believe there's some sort of equality between the enemy and the father. But it's really, really not. It's really not. Like I said, he's intimidated by the power of proximity. So as soon as I got close to God, I realized how big he was and how small sickness was, 
It's an unfair fight. It is not fair. When sickness walks into the room and my God is in the room, it has to flee. Has to. It cannot. You think about John G. Lake, the story that they, he would ask him to put the bubonic plague on his hand and it would shrivel up. Those stories are not there to intimidate us out and say, well, it was him, wasn't it? Now, yes, he lived a particular life. This is sacrifice to be, to, be, um, to be made, okay? The prayer, the fasting, the separation of oneself. But it is possible for a man to be in a position that if any sort of plague would touch his hand, it would shrivel up and die. It's possible from the scripture that if I would pray, that every single sick person would be healed. Notice this scripture doesn't talk about, well, what if it doesn't work? That's our question, not Jesus's. We came up with that terminology. We came up with that parenthesis. We came up with that addition. We changed the scriptures to say, cure the sick, unless it's not his will, and blah, 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 all that rubbish. What did he say? Cure the sick. If it wasn't possible, he wouldn't have told us to do it. We're going to have to move on. Pure heart, that which, we, that which we believe. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. So Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall heed my ordinances and do them. So we have the clean hands, that which we do. The pure heart, that which we believe. I would hear sometimes in church, you know, I'd be on the road and, and I would go to preach at a church. And you'd hear talk about the heart of man is desperately wicked and we just need to make sure that we do it. And, and all this enthusiastic yet ignorant talk, if I'm completely honest. Ignorant of the fact that, yes, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Yes, there is nothing within us that would move us towards God, as Romans talks about. But also, we've been given a new heart. You know when you hear the word, you know, he'll give you the desires of your heart? That was another scripture that used to intimidate me. Because I always thought my heart was wicked. So I was like, oh, let me just check my heart first before I start praying about the desires of my heart. Until he showed me the scripture. He said, I've given you a new heart, so you just ask. Because the heart that I've given you is good, it's pure, it has my statutes, it has my spirit. So just pray. That's why he says, ask what you will and it'll be given unto you. That's why Jesus can have the boldness to say that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That scripture can be used to dissuade you from praying. Well, make sure you just check your heart. Listen, my heart has been purified. I've been given a new heart. Now, I'm not denying the, the tension and the struggle as we overcome certain things in our lives and whatever. I'm not denying that, but I'm opening our eyes to the truth to which we must subscribe. Whilst, you're, whilst that sin cycle is being broken in your life, this still is the case. Clean hands, pure heart. 
That's what he declares over you every single time. Every single day you wake up, whatever you did the night before, this is my son with his clean hands and a pure heart. That's what I love. <laughs> what is it saying, Mark? The God kind of faith. He's so fully convinced of the power of redemption that despite what you do or don't do, he'll just keep speaking this over your life. You have clean hands. You have a pure heart. That which you do has been cleansed. That which you believe has been purified. That's why you ask. I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's been purified. It's mine. Not lifted up your soul to vanity. Um, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Four twenty-two. It says, "Put off your old self, completely discard your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires. In the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude, and put on the new self, the regenerated, regenerated and renewed nature, created in God's image." We spoke about it earlier. Godlike in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. That's because of that scripture, that third category has not lifted up his soul to vanity, has been satisfied. Because it's possible for me to live, or it's been instructed to me that I should be continually renewed in the spirit of my, in, in the spirit of my mind. You wouldn't put it in the book if it wasn't possible. Verse 24, I love it because it says, put on the new nature which is godlike. I double dare you to do that. That means you've got to do it. I double dare you to put on the new nature which is godlike. If it wasn't possible, it wouldn't be in the book. That's an abusive past, uh, abusive father who would say, jump, when you had no legs. It, 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 that's not what he does. He doesn't say, come up here, and then say, well, actually, it's not going to be possible. And you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to get to this point, which is in my book, but you'll never be able to do it. And you're just going to live a life of, of wanting to, and yet being disappointed and, and let down and racked with doubt. That's an abusive fa father. We know that we have a good, good father. And in his goodness, there is a way, somehow, some way, to fulfill this scripture. So instead of distance, in Psalms 24, I now pursue proximity. Because even when my life doesn't match up to this, it doesn't change the truth. Even when my thoughts don't, are not, <laughs> sorry, even when my thoughts are tarnished, it doesn't mean that they can't be untarnished. I just got work to do. Someone challenged me at a church recently. I was, I was leading worship at a church and we ended up healing the sick. And um, someone came up to me at the end and he was like, dude, you know, hearing me speak about healing, it was just incredible, so encouraging. And then he said, but what happens when he doesn't do it? Uh, that's, that's not on me. 
I pray for people. I remember there was one within the church community, and the person passed away. And I was broken inside me. I cried, I cried on behalf of my brother who was going through that loss. Because of when that person was in the deathbed, I was like, Lord, they're going to get up. I'm praying, I'm praying. And it didn't happen. And the temptation was there for me to be like, maybe it wasn't your will. But it says, cure the sick. So my response was, let me get closer to him. Because Jesus had results, 100%. When he prayed, they were healed. So if I'm not there yet, instead of me causing distance, I choose proximity. All right, okay. So I dusted off the grief, shook off the doubt. So let me get closer to him so I never have to feel this again. Let me get closer to him so that by the time I leave this earth, every single person I pray for is healed. That's the personal challenge I have on myself. Now, you may be different. You may want 50%. You may want hit and miss. I'm not going to take that risk because I've seen what he did. I've seen that cross. When we were just doing communion, I was reminded of a vision I had 2017, 2018. I was at David's tent, the worship event. And the worship was going on, and I said, Lord, <laughs> I said to him, actually, why do you bother with me? <laughs> you know, you just got those open and honest, frank conversations. I was like, Lord, I mess up so many times. I said, why do you even, why do you bother? And I closed my eyes, and in my mind's eye, I saw a curtain. He pulled the curtain back and I saw Christ on the cross. Not the Hollywood version. I saw the most beautiful yet gruesome image I've ever seen. And it's been stuck in my mind ever since. He wasn't even recognisable as a human being. Blood, pus. Things were green, blue. It was horrible yet attractive. And from that point on, every time I think to myself, and I have my moments, how do I do bother? He pulls across the curtain. This is why. This is why. Beaten, bruised, battered, mangled. Pick any one of those words and any synonyms and you don't even come close to what he went through on that cross. And that's why he gave me the second chance. When I first read this at 19 years old, Psalms 24, and it speaks about this is a generation of those who seek you, even as Jacob did. I said, Lord, why did you put Jacob in there? Of all the people, Abraham, David, Moses, you put Jacob. He said, because I'm the God of the second chance. So I said, you know, in my youthful enthusiasm, sounds so stupid now, I went, Oh, well, if you're the God of the second chance, I must be on the charts, 1,015, whatever, 1,555. He says, son, don't do this to me. He said, if every time I forgive you, it's a clean slate, it's always a second chance. I was ready to condemn myself 
even as he said, I'm the God of the second chance, I was still ready to be like, well, I must be on chance 2000, right? And he wouldn't let me hold that thought for one moment. He instantly said, no, no, no. It's clean every single time. So it has to be. It's always your second chance. Not sworn deceitfully, the fourth category. This is what we say, Mark eleven twenty two. We've all, if you've been around church, especially if you've been in the Word of Faith church, any sort of faith teaching, you've heard this scripture, Mark eleven um, twenty two. And Jesus replied and said to them, "Have faith in God constantly." Right, what's the next verse? Truly I tell you, said twenty three. Truly I tell you, whoever says to this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. So that which I say has now, like I said, the options have changed. Where before I had to accept every blow that life threw at me, now I can look at a mountain and say, go. That which I speak Denise takes you know comments all the time. So she says, hey, "Hey, your words are powerful." And I've learned this. I will say things in jest, and they come. So now, hmm. I'm learning to measure my words carefully because I'm a child of God. And when God speaks, He creates. So when I speak, I create. I do it at work all the time. I say to the boys, I say. And this is my what I do, wisdom. I say, right, water. When, when I say water, what do you think of? A cup? Were you thinking about that cup before I said it? No, I just created a world in your head. My words created something in his head. He wasn't thinking about it before, but I said one word and it created. That's the creative power of our words. See it in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God said. So because of that, like I said, the options have changed now. Where before my speech may have been loose. And I'll say this, say that, whatever. Even in jest. Now I'm learning day by day to only choose the words that he speaks. That I may satisfy Hebrews 11.3 where it says, By faith we understand that the world was framed, fashioned, equipped for its intended purpose by the word of God. So that that which is created, we know that it was created by that which can't be seen. So now, my world is framed by the word of God. I only choose scripture. In response to life, choose scripture. Because the word of God can equip, frame, equip for its intended purpose. Life will be lived in its intended purpose when it's framed by the word of God. So what are the boundary lines of my expectation? The word. That's why when it says cure the sick, I say, yes, okay. That's why it says raise the dead. I said, okay, cool. Because that's the boundary lines of my expectation. So I've shown you all four things and how through scripture we can prove that we can now stand there as the one who has clean hands, a pure heart, has not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. That's the purity. What was my title? Right. Let's go back to Psalms 24. I'm going to show you something. 
possums. We all Psalms 24, yeah, we're back there. And then we jumped around a bit back. Let's, let's read it again. So, who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Me. <laughs> Why? I have clean hands and a pure heart. I've not lifted up my soul to what is false, nor have I sworn deceitfully. I shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of my salvation. This is the generation description of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need, who seek your face, even as did Jacob. Someone read verse 7. What does it say? So, we've ascended the hill of the Lord because we live in purity. Because of the cross, everything has been sanctified. What comes next? Authority. Lift up your head, O ye gates. David stumbled into something here. When he realized the purity he had and the position he had with God, the next thing he took on was authority. This is the authority of purity. That we, I can look at a gate and say, lift up your head. Why? My father's coming. So now that you know where you have been placed, the next time you turn on the news and you see tanks rolling into a country, can you not be the one to say, peace, my father is coming? This is the authority of purity. Because I have been made pure, because I am now the one with the clean hands, that which I do, that which I believe, that which I speak, that which I think, has completely been sanctified, purified. I've grasped the fact that I have reconciliation and peace with God. Lift up your head of your gates. Every single gate we come across that's closed to the will of the Father, open it. Don't even think twice. Open it. Command it to be open. Command it to be open. And this is why we heard about the testing last week. We started to hear about this darkness that's covering the earth. And it will increase. But that's not the full stop. It's a comma. Because the next thing is open. Stop. This far, no further. It ends today. This one shall not be unto death. Those are the statements that come out of our mouths. Trust me, I love it. 2018. In 2018, I was on um, I was on social media and I saw a friend of mine who lived in Canada. She was in she was at Heathrow. So I said, "Oh, what are you doing at Heathrow?" She said, uh, "My grandmother, she's dying. She's got two weeks to live, so the whole family's coming over to speak to say our goodbyes." I said, "Oh, do you mind if I pray for her?" She said, oh, "You know what? Yeah." Now she's not a believer; she's an atheist actually. She said, you know what? Yeah, pray for her, please. Because my grandmother is a believer, even though I'm not. And I know she'd appreciate that. I said, okay, how long they said? She said, two weeks. I said, what's her name? She gave me her name. So I prayed. 
she stayed alive. Open. This one will not be unto death. I remember just literally a few days later, this was all the same period, a few days later over here, I've shared this story before, overhearing a colleague of mine who was on the phone ranting and raving about the fact he couldn't get time off to see his dad who was dying. And I walked away from that, just overhearing that in the common room. And I said, oh my gosh, wow. God said, well, why don't you do something about it? Why? Because he understands. God knows. Matthew 10, 8. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. You're it. You heard. So you do something about it. So I'm walking back to my office and I prayed. I actually said to him, I said, oh, I'll pray when I get back to my office. He said, no, pray now. He knows what I'm like. I'd have, I'd have forgotten. <laughs> get back to the office, see an email, you start doing stuff. Yeah. He said, pray now. To be honest, it was uncomfortable because I'm, I'm walking in the corridor of a school and I'm about to pray that someone's father who's dying, I don't know why, I don't know how, doesn't die. No context, no, talk to me, what's the issue? What do you want from the Lord today? Nothing. I hadn't even spoken to this person, just heard a conversation on the phone. So I prayed. And to this day, I always say it's probably one of the most jumbled prayers I've ever prayed. One, because I was walking through a corridor and trying not to shout down the whole halls. Um, lessons were going on. But I was just all over the place. I was like, well, this is what usually we do, Father. Usually you give me a bit of context. I speak to the person. Okay, here's a story, but I'll go pray this prayer. I thought, just pray. Okay. So I prayed. I came back to the guy a couple of weeks later. I said, hey, I overheard you the other day talking about your dad. Um, it's, uh, it's everything okay? He said, well, yeah, he had, he had throat cancer. They gave him a few days to live. And the reason why I was so upset is because I wasn't able to take time off work to go see him. I said, so what's happened now? He said, he's been released from the hospital. He's coming back to live with me. <laughs> he said, literally, just he just changed and he just got better. And now I'm, he was a carpenter. He was like, I'm remodeling my house and getting rid of the dust and everything else so that he can come home and live with me and recover from the throat cancer. And then I said to him, oh, that's so good to hear. Because when I heard your conversation, the Lord told me to pray. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, no. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, no, he's good. He's good. Yeah, he's back home, man. Thank you, man. What did I see? I saw a gate but I'm more conscious of the king of glory who needs to come through that gate. So I speak to that gate and say, open, that the king of glory may come in. doesn't matter how dark it looks. This, this is the authority of purity. Psalms 133. This is probably going to be the final scripture. Verse 1 and 2. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil of consecration poured on the head, coming down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. 
let's go to verse 3, finish it off. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded a blessing, life forevermore. They, that doesn't make sense. What's, what's that got to link with purity and authority? Remember at the beginning I said there are two pillars that the Lord is building this house on? This is one of them, this revelation about intimacy and this call to deeper intimacy started when Elder Deji last summer spoke to us about being prepared to go beyond in our worship. And you, to, to, your, to your credit, every single one of us has pushed beyond. You can feel it in the worship. You can feel it. Smaller in number, but the potency of our worship has increased. Because it doesn't matter whether you have 300 or 3,000, Gideon proved that one. Okay? So, right. That wasn't even my point. This is what the Lord wanted to show us. The reason, <laughs> the reason why these messages are coming out is because he wants every single one of us to believe this. There cannot be anyone who doubts that they are the righteousness of God. Not one of us. No more. We can't be a fractured church. We can't have five people pushing in this direction and ten still in doubt. We can't. We're not going to be able. We're not going to be able to do it. Why? <laughs> so I tell you why? Because union is a prerequisite for flow. Look at the scripture. When there's a union, the anointing flows. If you want proof, look at my life. I thank you guys for you know your kind comments. Man, the way you preach and the way you teach is a power that this is that. Thank you. It started when? When I came into union with this man. All of a sudden, flow. It's like a slipstream for those who are into racing. All of a sudden, when I align myself in thought and heart, not just by being in church, because that's what we've got it confused. Well, I'm at Commonwealth, so when's it going to hit? It's a decision I made. I'll share this. When I first came back from uni, I, I remember speaking to Pastor, I don't know if he remembers this, but I said, um, you know, I, you know, I really feel like the Lord has placed me here. I'm going to be here for a long term. I'm back. I'm not going back to the church I was at at uni. I'm here. And, we, and I asked him about being my spiritual father. You know what his response was? Well, a lot of people ask me that, and not many stick around. So we'll just see how it goes. That's what he said. I can take you to the spot at North Audley Street where we were standing, and he said it. And I was like, oh, I thought, I thought we were going to, I thought we were just going to say yes. He said, not many people have asked me that, not many stick around, so we'll just see how it goes. And instead of taking that as rejection, I took it as a challenge. And so whether he knew it or not, whether there was an official announcement or not, I don't care about that stuff. I sat every Sunday and I said, that's it. And every thought, every heart, even when it challenged me, even when I didn't understand, what scripture did he go to? What's that about? What's this? Da, da, da. I don't get it. That's, this is the way to go. 
this is the way to go. And all of a sudden, union produced flow. So now, I've been writing sermons since I was 19, but I've written the best ones in the past 10 years. Ever since I came back and just said, right, I'm just, I'm here. Want more evidence? I never used to prophesy. And all of a sudden, he doesn't even know it. I've never come up to him and said, by the way, I really like your gift and I really want to sit under it. No, I didn't have to do that. But every time he prophesied, I said, this is the word of the Lord. Whether I understand it, whether it makes sense, it doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, I began to just prophesy. I'll be in different environments. This is the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter whether it, whether it ever gets any public acclaim or not. It, I, don't, I don't care. When the Lord told me, he said, January 2011, he said, I want you to heal the sick through worship. The first thing he had me do is go to YouTube. And I watched hour after hour after hour of Benny Hinn Crusades. Hours. Pick one, I probably watched it. Atlanta 96, San Diego 88. I watched most of them on there. Whether I agreed with what I saw, whether I understood what I saw, I just said, this is what, this is the way I'm going. Bill Johnson, John G. Lake, um, Smith Wigglesworth, um, Carmichael, all, all these people, I just studied and I just said, there's something. And out of union, flow. I spoke many times about the measure of presence that he wants to bless us with. We have to come together and believe that we have clean hands, a pure heart, not lifted up our soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Because if we do that, we will move past having one person on the hill of the Lord and the rest of us trying to catch up. We'll move past having a worship team that really anointed, but you can't worship on a Wednesday morning. We'll move past that to a situation where even if someone was to come across your shadow, they'll be healed. Because I look at my brother, look at my sister, and I see the righteousness of God. No more doubt. No more doubt. I believe. And as a result, every single gate this church comes across will be opened. Let's say it's in your workplace. The gate is opened. The sickness in your family. The gate has been opened. Because finally, we all believe. This is why these messages are coming out. He's given us an opportunity for us all to say yes and amen. Where before we might have heard it, it said, that's great. I love what God's doing in your life, D. Salute you. Bang. Right. Yeah, man. You go heal the sick. I'm, I'm running with you. Now it's, oh, okay. If he can do it, so can I. It may not be healing the sick. It might be something. It might be businesses, launching businesses. I need you to believe that you are the righteousness of God. Because there's a business gate that needs to be opened. I can't open it, but you can. That the King of Glory may come in. This is what we need to do. Because if we are going to be Commonwealth, think about that name, Commonwealth. If we are going to be Commonwealth, that every single one of us from our different backgrounds and stories, there's however many people in this room, each is every single one of us is a life story. 
you will meet people that I may never meet. They may never hear my words, but they will meet Jesus. Because finally, we believe that we have clean hands, a pure heart, not lifted up our soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And out of that union, there's a flow. And just like the beard on Aaron's oil, the oil of Aaron's beard. Y'all know what I'm saying. Yeah, the beard of the oil. I'm going to go with the beard. It's in the scripture. You can read it yourself. <laughs> all of a sudden, from the top all the way down, please, it is no longer acceptable to disqualify yourself from the glory of God. It's not, we just, we're not going to do it here. No more. Not in this church. It's not one person and 30 others going in a different direction. It's not 30 and 100 others go. If there be, it has to be now. With this remnant, with this core, it has to be now. Because what will start to happen is a fire that starts to burn. That when the numbers are added, they come into contact with this fire. And as we know, fire is contagious. And all of a sudden, they walk in depressed. And just by sitting on the back row next to you, before the service has started, bang, it's lifted. I remember, and this, I think this is my final bit, unless there's more. There was... Um, yeah, we've still got two hours left. <laughs> the time, what time? I, um, there was a moment at um, one Marlebone when a lady ran in. We, we were doing sound check, okay? And I was playing just whatever song I was, but I was the only one left on the stage. Everyone else had kind of gone off. And I began to play a hymn. And a lady walked in from the street and sat on the front row. And God said to me, look at her. And I looked, and then he said to me, play with your right hand. Okay, so I went to my right hand. He said, "Turn, um, use a string sound. Okay, so I turned up the string sound. So I'm playing this hymn. She starts to cry. Cool. For most of us, that would be enough. Then Sarah comes up. I didn't call her up. But she walks out, picks up her flute, and begins to play the melody. Now we have reunion. Now we have flow. She begins to play the melody on top of these strings. And literally, the Lord was telling me note by note, he was like, move up an octave, bang. Then he was like, move back down, dum, turn this down. Like, just moment by moment. And the lady, she took up her scarf, quiet, took up her jacket. And then she bent over double. Then the Lord says, go get Bobby. So I'm like. <laughs> Bobby. Bobby comes and sits next to her. He begins to pray with her, speak with her, encourage her. And then the Lord said to me, stop playing. So we stopped. Got off the stage. You may have heard of her story. I think Bobby did actually share she was the only remaining member of her family who survived the concentration camps. 
So her whole, her grandmother and her whole family had been, you know, in World War II and they'd been in the concentration camps and she was one of the few people that were still alive. And she confided in, in Bobby that she had lived her life under the grief of being the only one to survive. But she heard the music from outside. And something said to her, go inside. She came in and sat on the front row, witnessed the union, and the anointing began to flow before we'd even started service. To this day, one of the most powerful moments of worship I've ever had in this church before worship started. What a testimony. I never spoke to her beyond, hey, how you doing, when, you know, teas and coffees or whatever. Never had to, didn't know her name, didn't need to. Just union and then flow. So we have to believe that we have clean hands, that which we do has been purified. A pure heart, that which we believe has been purified. We've not lifted up ourselves to falsehood, that which we think has been purified nor sworn deceitfully, that which we say has been purified. For if we would be bold enough to, as a group, trust me, cannot be just me. It cannot be just us on this side, but the left, you know, it has to be every single person in this church has to believe that we can ascend the hill of the Lord. Because if we would do that, the gates are open. Every single one. Just imagine, just have a think over our church history, the things we've achieved, the lives that have been transformed. But I'll be honest, that was without the union that is coming. So imagine how much more we will achieve, how many more gates. There are gates that we've opened that have shut because there was a union. And now it makes sense. Everything about the worship team, now it all makes sense. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Gates were opened, but there was a union, so they shut. We would taste his presence. We'd see all these incredible things, and then we wouldn't see it the next week or for the next six months. And we accepted, well, we're still pressing in. No, what we needed to do was have a union. The honest truth, during the pandemic, the worship team has got smaller. But the potency has increased because there is a union. And I'm not saying that anyone needed to go or whatever. It's not that. All I know is the 10, 11, or 12 that we have left, there is union. Okay? You see, on a, on a Monday night when we pray, there could only be five of us on the call and people are getting jobs. The sick are being healed. Because there's a union. So now there's flow. And gates have to flee, have to fling open. They have no choice. It's in the book. Lift up your head of your gates. Just in case you didn't believe it, it said twice. Lift up your head of your gates that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord God, strong and mighty. The Lord God, mighty in battle. I don't know about you. I don't know about you.
Well, I'm sick of losing battles. I'm sick of losing battles. So please join us in the scripture so that we will never lose a battle again. This church will never lose a battle again. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Victory, victory, victory. Yeah, we're together. We're together. Father, see the union. We will never, never lose again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that as we agree as to our position before you, we thank you for the authority of purity. That we will command gates to be open. That we will never lose a battle. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. We're not losing anymore. Thank you, Father. Okay. So on a practical level, tomorrow morning, this is what's helped me, just say it, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. doesn't matter how you feel, whether you're tired, whether you're this, whether you feel like you're a failure, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Say it. Keep saying it. And it will come alive in your heart. And then I dare you, as you say it, to look at a gate. You must be opened because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 